authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Even our difficulties. In Galatians chapter 4, 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. See, this, ha- this day in Luke 2, it happened on a real day. The perfect and precise day. In the fullness of time. The perfect time appointed by God before the foundation of the world. I know it's inconceivable. It's unfathomable that God had this day planned before the foundation of the world, before there was Adam, before there was anything. Secondly, I want to show you in verses 4 and 5 that the birth of Christ reveals a small town that wasn't even on the map. This town is called Bethlehem. A small town that's not even on the map. You know, Hamden's on the map. Baltimore's on the map. Probably because we're near D.C. <laughs> but we're on the map, right? You look in the map, it's there. But you know, in some maps, Bethlehem wasn't even mentioned. It wasn't on the map. But it happened in this real-life city. It happened in a city a little under 6,000 miles from Baltimore. The city, the city Bethlehem, still exists. The city is on the news. The city is real. You can go there. I just want to make, sometimes we read the Bible and we forget this is real. This is real. It happened. These are real places. It's not just stories, it's also history and landmarks. There are two reasons from the Old Testament that Bethlehem would be the significant birthplace of Jesus Christ. First of all, uh, 1 Samuel tells us that Bethlehem was to be the hometown of the future King David. But uh, equally important is also Micah 5, 2, and I'll just read it for you. In Micah 5, 2, it tells us that another future king, the true, the ultimate, eternal future king, will also come from Bethlehem. And it reads in verse 2 of Micah 5, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Bethlehem, like I said, is a small town. It's scarcely worth counting among the clans of Judah. Yet God chooses to bring his magnificent Messiah out of this town. Why? One is that Jesus is in the lineage of David. And so was Mary and Joseph. But I think one of the, uh, the grander reasons that God chose Bethlehem is because um, it is small. It is a little town full of little people. And this big God, this vastless God, cares about little things, little towns, little people. You know, that's why we're doing this affordable Christmas drive, right? We care. We care about the marginalized. We care about the forgotten. We care about the silent. We care about the people like that. And God, we see, doesn't use a well-known city, but something small, quiet, and even out of the way 
Right? When you're picking a home to live in or a house to buy, you like to buy places that are like right off the highway or right off the main streets. And Bethlehem wasn't that kind of town. It was out of the way. But this small, quiet, out-of-the-way town changed the course of history and eternity. You know, uh, if I just put my sanctified imagination into this, um, another reason why I think God put an unknown city on the map through the birth of Christ is because that's just who he is. That's how he acts. Um, He doesn't want mankind, doesn't want any of us to boast in our merits or achievements. Um, God is wonderfully free. Isn't that great? God is wonderfully free. He can choose wherever he wants, whatever he wants, whomever he wants. He is wonderfully free. He is not impressed by bigness. I'm impressed by bigness. I think you are too. But God is not. He chose Bethlehem so no one could boast. Not even the innkeeper. If I'm the innkeeper, right, I like the name drop. I like to get my name out. Everyone will tell you I'm a good self-promoter. If I'm the innkeeper and God allowed me to have Jesus born in my inn, oh yeah, I'm going to use that to make more money, you know, put in my advertisement, you know, keep it in my slogans, you know, I'm going to let that thing ride. But he didn't let the innkeeper hold baby Jesus, right? Definitely, I will hustle that thing. I would, I would. would. And if you know me, you know I would. Oh, yes, I would. I would say, oh, God chose the comfort of my end. But God chose not an inn, but a manger or stable so that no one could boast. And who would boast in Bethlehem? Nobody. Nobody could boast about Bethlehem. See, God chooses towns, chooses unknown places, unknown people, because he is free and unconditional. And Bethlehem embodies littleness and insignificance. And, and, and we need to as well. You know, we need to care about little things and things that are insignificant in the eyes of the world. Because um, this is the blessings of salvation. Um, that we were not chosen because of our greatness or merit or our achievement, but because of God's greatness, His merit, and His achievement. The glory does not belong to us. We get the joy. God gets the glory. And we see this in how God chose Bethlehem to reveal himself through the birth of Christ. Um, You know, Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. It means the house of bread. And it's fitting because in Bethlehem was born the, the bread of life. What about Baltimore? What about Baltimore? Some cheap Baltimore like Bethlehem or Nazareth and say, can anything good come out of Baltimore? And people say that to me when I travel, especially after the riots. I feel so sorry for you guys, you little people, what you have to endure 
And people want to leave Baltimore. You know, they want to go to Howard County and Montgomery County and Fairfax County and Loudoun County. and I don't know how many counties there are. What about Baltimore? God works in the small and insignificant cities and peoples of the world. Look at the Israelites. With that said, uh, I want to go to our last, uh, last, last point uh, about how God reveals himself in the birth of Christ. In an ever-expanding world ruled by greatness and might, God chooses to reveal himself in the smallest of way, in a world that had no room for him. And the last thing I want you to see in verse 6 through 7, um, I'll just read it real quick. And it says, uh, And while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, all of a sudden, the time came for Mary to give birth. I've never witnessed labor either. It's, it's, it seems traumatizing. Okay? <laughs> okay. Again, I'm just speaking out of ignorance. Okay? Bear with me. Okay? And while they were there, they're traveling there, a time came for her to give birth. Uh-oh. All right? All of a sudden. But God knew. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now remember, it was the census that caused them to return to their hometown in this fulfilled prophecy. Right? It took a political regime, a political decree to get them to their hometown. Why else? Did, their postal address isn't Bethlehem, right? It's, it's Nazareth. And yet here they are. And the birth of Christ uh, reveals what we are and who God is. That's the last thing I want to talk about. The birth of Christ reveals what we are and who God is. The contrast. The radical contrast. What we are, uh, as, I, as I said, we care about uh, glitz and glamour. We care about bigness. We care about credentials. We care, we care about resumes. Um, but that's not who God is. And I just want to dive a little deeper into that. I want to share a poem with you guys that I read over 10 years ago, but I can never forget this poem, and it continues to remind me of what I am without Jesus and what I am without his grace. And it's a, a, a poem by an anonymous writer, and it goes like this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough God to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough Jesus to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of Jesus to make me love a black man or pick beats with an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And that is what we are. We want a comfortable Christianity, a cultural Christianity, not something costly and sacrificial. But this is who God is. God permits his son to be born in the manger. 
or born in a stable. You know, he, I think we don't make room for God if we're honest. It's because He does not meet our expectations. That is who we are. We have expectations of how God should enter our lives, how God should enter our world, and He does not meet those expectations. And it drives us crazy. It drives us into unbelief. And into disbelief. But we see in the story of the Messiah King, born in Bethlehem. Born not in royal surroundings, but around animals and feeding troughs. That we should not limit God by our expectations. He is at work wherever he is, especially wherever he is needed in our sin-darkened and dirty world. Because, you know, if I were to pick a couple, if I were to pick two people to produce the Savior of the world... I don't think I would have even picked Joseph and Mary. The text tells us today that Mary and Joseph were not yet married. In verse 5, it says that Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The word betrothed just means engaged. It just means engaged. And just because you're engaged doesn't mean... You're at the finish line, right? Or even starting line, I should say. And here they are. How do they explain this public shame? (laughs) You know, they're not married. They're supposed to be married before they have intercourse, before they have sex, and before they can produce child, right? And here they are traveling. And how do they explain this scenario? You know, if I'm Joseph, I tell people, like, yeah, Holy Spirit did it. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's going to fly. I don't think that's really going to work, right? Like, oh, right? People give you that sideway look, right? You know that sideway look? When you're doing something shady or something that's scandalous. I, I would not expect God to choose a couple that's not even married yet. This virgin. She's still a virgin, and yet she has child. Explain that. It's a miracle. This is part of the good gospel. This is part of the good news. We cannot forget about this part of the gospel. And I think this is a traumatizing experience. I've never gotten a woman pregnant or anything like that, but I have met friends who have abortions and had to go through this. It is traumatizing. This is not what you expect in the gospel story. It's not what you expect in the unfolding of God's plan. Would you? Could you? But this is what God does. But I do have a traumatizing moment that involves pregnancy. Um, when I was a child, maybe five or six years old, I went through my parents' Wedding photo album for the very first time. I was like five or six, and I went through the photo album for the very first time. And I was, as I was perusing through the photos, I noticed that my mother's stomach protruded. Right? It was popping out. 
in her wedding photos. And I began, became curious as to what caused it. I'm five or six. I don't know. I don't know. Now, now I'm a little boy and I have no clue how this happens or what causes pregnancy. So I asked my mama, why is your stomach so big? You know, in Korean it's umma, right? So umma, why is your stomach so big? Right? In your wedding, right? I thought you were supposed to lose weight before your wedding. Hey, you gained weight. I just kidding, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but like, looking back, I'm like, what the fuck, right? Okay, and then, you know, my mom replied, um, and I said, why is your stomach so big? And she replied, because you are. That's you inside of me. I was holding you inside of me on my wedding day. And I didn't quite understand it at the time, but years later, when I was maybe a teenager or a little before then, I realized that my parents were in a shotgun wedding. Which means, one, they were forced uh, to get married, or at best felt pressure to get married due to the pregnancy, due to me. And two, this is traumatizing, I was unplanned. And I entered a sloppy circumstance, straight out of the womb. My expectations and visions of how I entered the world and, or how I should have entered the world and what really happened collided. Right? That's why we have low self-esteem. We have these expectations and then unmet expectations. Right? We have these expectations, unmet expectations every day, right? And I had these expectations of how my mom and dad brought me into the world. And then I had these unmet expectations. Right? And then I was like, oh, I was blown. I was blown. Um, I began to limit the beauty of my family and if God was good because of my limited expectations, because of my expectations of my parents, of God. I was not a believer yet, but what little I knew about God, I started to doubt. What is God like? You know, what I experienced in my life is that he doesn't really care about my expectations. Um, not that, like, he couldn't care less, but that's not his heart's desire to meet my expectations, even how I enter the world. You know, some of you guys have this, like, lustful or this, this whimsical perspective of how you should meet Christ, how you should become a Christian, right? But it doesn't happen like that. Don't have them like that. Some people, it is dramatic. Some people, it's just incremental steps. It's systematic. And I know, I know friends who are just so caught up in how God should save them. How God should save the world. And maybe that's why we were so upset during the political campaign. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I have no idea. Maybe we're mad because... These expectations of how our nation should be run and how our churches should be run and how our people should be run, it just doesn't fit into, it doesn't fit into the paradigm, this matrix. And it just doesn't fit. Even the Jews missed it. And they know the word. They were expecting a king and they missed it. The whole time, all 33 years he was on this earth. They missed it. 
They missed the obvious. And it all started here. There was no room for him. And I'm using that literally and figuratively and spiritually. I have no clue what it has cost you to follow Jesus. I'm not going to pretend to know. But it cost cost Jesus everything to be in a relationship with you. Everything. Jesus was laid in the manger because there was no room for him. How solemnly this brings out the world's estimate of the Christ, of the Son of God. The the manger, how Jesus was laid in the manger, it it demonstrates the extent of his poverty. Remember what Jesus used to say while he walked this earth? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I don't know if Jesus was talking about his birth. But it was his very existence. He left home to bring us home. That Jesus was laid in the manger. It shows God's contempt for worldly riches and posh living. We might think it would be more fitting for Christ, the Son of God, to be born in a palace or laid in a cradle of gold or lined with costly silk. But the gospel reminds us that which is high, that which is highly esteemed among men, it is abomination in the sight of God. God uses the foolishness of this world to shame the wise. And we see this in the Christmas story. He was laid in the manger to mark his identification with human suffering and wretchedness. He left the heights of heaven's glory and he had descended to our level. So we may behold him at his lowest point. And I conclude with the word of God in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. And it reads this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, God humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray.
family and friends. As you pray, I want you to remember that our, even though our first picture of Jesus is as a baby in a manger, it must not be our last. The Christ child in the manger has been made into a beautiful Christmas scene, but we cannot leave Jesus there. This tiny, helpless baby lived an amazing life, the perfect life, lived and died for you and me, defeated death and sin by the power of the resurrection, ascended to heaven, and will come back to earth as the King of Kings. One day, Jesus will return and rule the world and judge all people by their decisions about him. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to ask you, do you still picture Jesus as a baby in a manger? Or is he your Lord? Make up your mind today. Make sure you don't underestimate Jesus. If you're a Christian, let him grow up in your life. For he is a refuge for the poor, a shelter from the storm. This is our God. A father to the orphan, a healer to the broken. This is our God. Run to him, for he has first come to you. Continue to pray. our music team leads us into a response I want to invite you to take communion if you are a Christian I invite you if you're not a Christian I invite you to receive and trust in Jesus Christ to wash away your sins so you may come with no burden no guilt and walk in the light as he is in the light Jesus said in the word of God, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The word of God also says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, 
for he abundantly pardons. And God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you're ready, please join us for communion. If you're not a Christian, receive the bread of life and partake with us.